Hello, I am the instructor from Groundlings. Forget all other podcasts, they will not help you. Step one, listen to the map report. Good. Step two, laugh. Good. Now it's funny. Let my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles. I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans, they always crying out for Wanted to prove it to my family to number one, number 109 August 22nd, 2008. And we'd like to welcome you to the sad music from Star Wars. For what reason, I can't really tell you, but that's what we decided to have here. So. so what's going on, everyone? Uh, we're all here. Russ, Clea, and I are all here. I'm, R- Clea and I are just back from Gen Con, the biggest gaming and geek fest in the history of creation. And Russ oh, is just yeah. back from bringing Vegas to its knees. So we've all come back from various trips. So, And I figure we'll spend some time talking about Gen Con because uh, it's going to relate somehow to filking culture, which we've talked about before. So I want to I want to start by asking Russ about how he brought Vegas to his knees because I heard that apparently they were closing casinos after he left. There were executives weeping in horror as he drove out of the city. And I want to know if that was actually true. Is it's that true. That yeah, they were weeping because they wanted me to stay and continue to clean them out so that they could go retire after. Uh... It's like the producers they wanted their casino to close and they've been waiting for you to Exactly. Russ was the springtime for Hitler. The greatest player in history to play at our (laughs) casino. Can't fail. So first of all, this was the Brandeis debate get-together, right? Which for you meant the Vegas bringing to its knees get-together. Right. So this was our version of the most geekiest board and like video game convention on the history of the Western Seaboard. Mm -hmm. Because we all got together to play board games for a long weekend in Vegas and try to ignore as much debauchery as humanly possible. That sounds like story and you. What did everyone else do? <laughs> no, seriously, like we played wise and otherwise for about thirty percent of the trip. Like in 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 the inn, in the Great American Value Inn, the well-known hotel on the Vegas Strip. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is how you raised them, Greg. I'm very it was happy. right next door to the Hooters Casino, which I didn't nice. know existed. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, one of the more depressing casinos on the Strip. And, uh, you know, it's hard, like, as a high roller playing in a big poker tournament, it's hard to, like, hit on a girl hanging around the poker room and be like, you want to come back to my room? Where are you staying? The Tropicana? The Flamingo? No, I'm at the Great American Value. In I'm at the Gabby, just, as we insiders the, call it. <laughs> it's kind of on the strip. You just walk past the bus station and Thank the homeless going. prostitutes. And, uh, <laughs> Charming. Die. Yeah. But we were paying, like, about 60 cents a night for it, so... We, there was no overhead at all. Right. It was all free. It was basically free. So wait, so so why did everyone stay in the... I mean, first of all, who was there? So it was you and Story. It was me and Story. Andy um, Bragan, right? A- Andy Bragan, who I drove up with because his family lives in L.A. Um, Eric Sirota and Beth Mandel, 
and a special cameo guest appearance by Alan Tannenwald, who showed up for wow. seven minutes. Did you say for seven minutes? Yes, he was there. He's like, hi, I made it. I'm here. I'm going to the spa. And then we never heard from him again. <laughs> I see. And so everybody, rather than deciding to go out and have a good time in Vegas, decided to stay in the hotel when you weren't like winning money in poker, to stay in the hotel and play wise and otherwise. Have you been to Vegas, Greg? Have no. you guys been? Okay. Okay, good. Because I had never been before this a couple weeks ago when we went. And um, let me tell you something about Vegas. It's crazy. <laughs> like, you, I know that no doesn't with that. mean anything. You have no context for what I'm telling you. So I'm going to try to explain. Like, it's not crazy in the sense that, oh, Vegas, it's fun. Like, it's crazy. It should not exist. No modern civilization should have a Vegas. It's just everything that's wrong with the world <laughs> condensed into, like, a couple of square miles of crazy, total crazy. Like, people go to L.A. and think L.A. is crazy. I've lived in L.A. for six years. I'm totally desensitized to all of the ostentatious nonsense. And then I went to Vegas, and I could not – I didn't sleep. Like, the whole trip, I slept, like, three hours maybe. The first night, we got there on a Thursday night. We hung out. We went to an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet for, like, $13 a head. That's which a good start was worth about as much as that because everybody got sick <laughs> afterward. And uh, then Story and I decided to go play in a 2 a.m. poker tournament at the uh, Planet Hollywood Casino. Of course. And so we, I got eliminated around 4. He got eliminated around 4.30. We walked back separately because Story had not yet figured out how to use his wife's cell phone, which was lended to him. Um, <laughs> It was mandated that he take this with him. He didn't want to, but she, Emily would have killed him if he didn't take her cell phone. So we, we didn't – we're really on the same page there. So I basically walked like a couple miles on the strip by myself back to the Great American Value Inn just absorbing Vegas at 5 in the morning on a Friday. And it was just – it just struck me like this is the most desolate, depressing – horrible place in the whole world oh like God. any tourist that comes here and thinks this is what america is like like no wonder they think we're a big joke because vegas is a big joke that's what it is. it's a big ostentatious joke there's it's so stupid and over the top and tasteless and classless and idiotic it's insane insanely I'm idiotic really gratified because i've always thought this was that's the case so but i had never been there so i couldn't say it myself my friend but. Catherine loves going there they go there once a year <laughs> And I mean, I just can't even – we went to the New York, New York Casino, which like takes all of the, the most famous features of the New York skyline and puts them together in like 20-story paper mache and like a fake skyline in front of the casino. Right. And you walk in and it's like palm trees and neon and it's like nothing to do with New York and they don't even – like nothing represents what it actually is. The only casinos that get away with this are casinos like the Luxor, which has an Egyptian theme because unless you're – like ancient scholar, like you won't know what they're doing wrong about each casino and trying to. Unless like, you're the reincarnated Ramses, you're like, that's not what my burial tomb exactly. looked like. What's wrong with these people? They didn't have assault rifles in Egypt. What the <laughs> is wrong with these people? Like, it's, everything's just... so dumbed down. It's right. and, and but it's dumbed down. I don't know. You know what it is? It's like. I'm used to the useless corporateness of the rest of the country. Like in most major cities, it's just corporate billboards everywhere and work people. And that's just that normal form of useless life. In Vegas, it's a different brand of useless living. It's like so much hedonism that it becomes pointless. It's like every five steps, there's some offer to do some ridiculous thing for no money that like at some point it just all blends together. It becomes meaningless. Like 
But how is this wow. different from like Disneyland? Oh, or it is. One of it's, the other places. It's exactly the same. It's Disneyland for adults, and we basically that that was the only state story brought that up, and that was the only thing that allowed me to conceptualize and understand Vegas, like because I just couldn't wrap my brain around what I was looking at. Like it was just not processing. I'm like, this is all crazy and stupid, crazy and stupid, crazy <laughs> and stupid. He's like, it's like Disneyland for adults. I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, that and all makes... of a sudden your brain clicked in. Yeah, right, it did. Right. I'm like, okay, then why don't they should have like a tram or something? Make but wait, like... you guys are adults and you didn't have a good time. Well, I mean, not well, with I that. had a great. That, that's this is the other thing. Like, this was one of the best road trips I've ever taken ever. It was so much fun. What? Now put those How? two things together. <laughs> well, when he was on the road, he was having fun. No, in Vegas. When in he was Vegas, tripping, it was, he was so fun. much fun. It was Thursday to Monday. It was a tremendous, super long weekend, and it was great. But it wasn't great because I went and found nineteen hookers and like played craps and baccarat <laughs> and hung out with Tony Bennett's corpse. Like it's that had nothing to do with it. It was because that's perhaps I, the funniest combination: nineteen hookers plus hanging out with Tony Bennett's corpse, who is still alive, I believe. Yes. Well, <laughs> one of his incarnations is still alive. I don't well, know if you're right. See, exactly. that's the thing, though, Russ. That's the exact what you just said is exactly the way the two people, I guess I should only say it's only two people in our lives, say that they love Vegas because, and, and everyone says why. And it's because they say it's because you actually can find what it is that you enjoy there, right? You can say in one sentence, it's the worst place and it's an abomination, abomination. but then you had a great time. You know, Catherine, my friend Catherine goes every year and, you know, she has a great time. Now, is it because she loves prostitution, crack cocaine, and... Perhaps she does, though, because what (laughs) happens in Vegas stays stays in in Vegas. Vegas. But she still has a great time, so I, I think that that's kind of your answer. You but I, but see, couldn't you have gone and played wise and otherwise in any other hotel room? I mean, isn't that why you had a good time? Part of the point is most of the trip was good because it was hanging out with really cool, funny, fun people that I haven't seen in a very long time. Right. And playing board games and playing chess and, like, getting drunk with friends. Like, that's the most fun thing ever. So, But the other part that was fun was poker. And having poker housed in Vegas is just one of the biggest oxymoron paradoxes like i can't fathom like we were talking about this in vegas how poker and what vegas is could not be more opposite like poker is about math and patience and like intuition and like raging against tennessee 56 but okay 200 years old this is game that's like very not flashy at all it takes hours and hours there's no action for hours at a time it Mm. does not pay off for hedonists can't play poker they would get crushed because it's just not that kind of mindset. And it's completely the opposite of everything that Vegas is. Yet the only place where you can do it live, or one of the few places, is this crazy hedonistic place. And the two things have nothing to do with each other. But that's where you have to go to get poker, to play for money. And uh, I don't yeah, know. Well, I don't. It's, it's true, actually. Uh, that and Native American reservations, because uh, Greg was hoping to play some poker at Gen Con. And he, he was already set to go. And. That was nipped in the bud because Indiana law, state law has changed now. Yeah, because... they now have a gaming commission. Right. Did and they have they a actually the last year but not this year? Yeah. They had a tournament in 2005, which is the last time we went. But since oh, that wow. time, they've allowed casinos in the state. And so what's happened is they actually have a commission which goes from place to place and basically says, you know, shuts people down. Which to me is brilliant, right? Because, I mean, so their, their thought process is here's 27,000 people from out of state. They can either play poker and contribute further to the local economy, or they cannot play poker. 
because none of these people are going to leave Gen Con, the largest gaming convention in North America, to go to one of your busted Native American casinos. They're going to either stay and play poker there, or they're not going to play poker at all, and you won't get their money. So Indiana made the brilliant idea to not get their money. That's basically how we looked at it. So yeah, I was pretty bitter that there was no tournament of poker being played there. The rest of the convention, the rest of the convention was awesome and a blast, and I got a lot of good professional stuff done plus good gaming. So the rest of it was great, but that part was not so good. Well, they're upholding the rights of the Native Americans, unlike the the fireworks lobby. I think it even keep... da- that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think it evened out though over the course of our weekend because we had a really good time at Gen Con generally, but there was no poker. And you had poker and some gaming, right. and but didn't really have a good time with the city. I mean, you had a good time on the trip, and but the city time. didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't. I hate many things about like they pump out air conditioning into the desert, just just into the ether. Like they run giant commercial sized air conditioners twenty four hours a day with the doors wide open in every casino, yeah. so that like, you know if you're within a hundred feet of the doors, you feel a little cool blast, but realize that this is the most wasteful enterprise in the history of the world, probably. Right. Like just looking around, and that sort of pisses me off. Just walking around, looking at the wastefulness of it, and the idiocy, and the tastelessness, and all that stuff. But then I went to the Caesar's Palace poker room, and I had a blast because I beat the crap out of people there, and it was great. It was so, awesome. did you win a tournament, or did you just do really well at money games? I won. No, I played two tournaments at Caesar's. Um, I won one. I placed in the other one. You and won a tournament. Well, I won. We got down to the final five people, and we all decided to chop. So, for all intents and purposes, I won. Like nobody beat me, but I wasn't Can first I ask place. I was tied. How many people that were started uh, out? It was like sixty-five, I think. Nice. So, how did you? So, did you make like a serious amount of money? Like, are we talking? You know? No, I made enough money to pay for everything that we did. So, like, let's say I cleared like six hundred bucks profit. Um, and since that was the only gambling that I did, like that, you know, nothing else bit into that as far as. I played nice. any slots while I was like waiting for people, but I just wasn't. I don't go to gamble. I don't have any fun gambling. Like, there's no rush for me throwing dice and hoping I agree. that things for happen. Me it's about poker, yeah. The rush is going in there and you know out uh, strategizing other people and making them look foolish and taking their money away. So that's my goal. Now, were uh, you able to talk the smack to those people that you do online? Did you, for example, get to yell at the equivalent of Tennessee Fifty Six no, and be like, "Nice baseball cap" and? I think that I'm actually a much better live player than an online player. And uh, part of my theory was I know that there's this secret conspiracy about how casinos pump extra oxygen into the room to make you feel all calm and serene and, like, happy about gambling. And I think that might be true because every time I've ever sat down in a live game in a casino, I'm just perfectly content, perfectly at home with myself. And that's also, like, the absolute optimal mood to be playing poker because once you get emotional, you start doing stupid things. So given that I was able to sit down and be in the presence of people with that mindset, like, they had no chance because I wasn't anything Did anyone get angry at you, um, and did you then mock them in response to that anger? Um, (laughs) Kind of. Like, okay, so the first time, the first, the Friday tournament was the one that I won. Um, I actually hit a royal flush in that tournament, by the way. Wow. Was one of the highlights of my poker career, possibly the highlight, since I knocked out two players, hit a royal flush, everybody in the room flipped out, um, the dealer gave me his marker to like commemorate the occasion. I, you know, a massive giant chip stack. And Norton walked over, clapped you in the back. Everything yeah, seriously. Did. I got to say, here's what happened. Like, um, so I got ace king suited clubs in the pocket. Those are the two cards down. A guy in front of me goes all in, and I was like medium short stacked, so I pushed all in. I called, and then the guy to my left also went all in. The flop comes in order. Queen jack ten of clubs. Oh my god, <laughs> and it was over. Yeah, 
And I looked at it, and I stared at it for a good two minutes. I was like, that can't be right. There's got to be something I'm missing here. I'm like, no, 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 that's, 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 that's a royal flush. I have a royal flush. And so the guy to my right who wasn't completely all in, like, he pushed the rest of his chips in, um, putting me completely all in. And then I'm like, okay, okay, don't, don't do anything. Oh, so you hadn't, you hadn't revealed your cards to this point because you still no. had one player who was out, right? Right, not yet. So then I, I was like, make sure you do everything technically. So, like, I call, and then I picked up my cards, and I'm like, and I'm pretty sure this is the best hand in the world. Blam. And I laid it down an ace-king. It's like the movie Maverick, the end of the movie. <laughs> and I was, everyone's like, oh, my God, what? And it turned out the other guy had trip queens, and the guy to my left had also had ace-king suited spades, so he had top two pair. Oh, no, he had – I'm sorry. He had a Broadway. He had a straight. He had – a high straight to the other guy's trip queens to my royal flush. So he fell it's, over and blew up. Both yeah, he did. fell over and blew up. He and was eliminated. The other guy had just been short set because he was over my head. But And then uh, they started calling it a Russell flush because the dealer was also named Russell and was also from the Bronx. And we just oh. like was like, it's crazy. He's your cousin, I bet. You cousins? Which was funny. That's awesome. Was, yeah, Clea, we should point out that in Vegas, when you win a poker hand by that level, it actually physically causes the other person to blow up. That's one of the dangers of Vegas. Mm. It's what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas because you don't survive. You mm. actually just blow up right. if that happens. So, so anyway, to point that out. legends began to be told about the Russell flush. And so then I returned on Sunday to play in the same tournament, the three o'clock tournament. And I said hi to the people that I knew in the room. And I'm like, sweet, this is my room. This is where I will come from now on to play poker whenever I go to Vegas. Because why would I ever go anywhere else ever again of course. to play poker? Like no reason. So I was playing in that tournament and, um, I got into the final table extraordinarily short stacked. Like, I, by no right should I have been at the final table. I had no chips. I was just sitting there waiting, 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 and eking by. And everyone was waiting for me to get knocked out. But it just happened that I kept picking exactly the right hand to go all in. Even hands where I was dominated behind, I would draw out and get my out and double up over and over. Like, it happened like seven times. Like, people tried to eliminate me seven times, and they kept failing to eliminate me. And then I started telling them that I was the Highlander. <laughs> And that they had to cut my head off. But it was all in good fun. Like, I wasn't like, yeah, I was screaming at them. I was just like in total conversational, like, no, I'm the Highlander. You have to cut my head off. And uh, then this Asian lady actually put, she went all in and I called and I thought she was over my head and she beat me. So I started walking away from the table thinking I'd been eliminated. And they're like, sir, sir, wait. It turned out I had like a couple hundred chips left. And everyone was so mad that I was walking away because it's like I had reverse jinxed myself and they knew that I wasn't going to be eliminated now that I had a couple hundred chips. And so the next hand I doubled up and then two hands later I doubled up again and I just kept, I started singing the Highlander theme song at the table. I was like, <laughs> here we are, born to be kings, we're the princes <laughs> of the universe. So this is online play. There you go. That's Pretty the much. I know and love. And I was really, like, at first everyone was, like, rooting for me, but then when we got to the money and we got to the last five and people kept getting knocked out in front of me when I was supposed to be the first guy out, they started getting mad. And they're like, would somebody please kill this person already? And I'm like, I am immortal inside <laughs> me is the blood of kings. Oh, God. <laughs> So no one was like, who wants to live forever? Right? Nobody dealers, tried to count you. Yeah, they totally did. One of the dealers picked up on the reference. I was like whistling the Highlander theme every time I played a hand. And uh, one time I took a hand off the top stack and I was like, uh, what did I say? You don't know the power of the dark side. He's like, what? I thought you were a Highlander. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm mixing metaphors. That's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'll go back to singing. 
So finally, I think I was just so loopy over having made the money that there was no, by no right, should I have made the money in that second tournament that I basically flamed out and like got ridiculously aggressive um, in the five-handed play and made a couple mistakes and got knocked out fifth. But again, that the swing of not making the money and making the money was so big that it made the whole trip as far as like free free Vegas fun. So and it was great. Like, and you waved at people on the way out. It was like a Escape from New York. They started chanting Snake, Snake, except it was, you know, Highlander, Highlander, or there could yeah. be only one. Only so one. that's it. Only Caesar's one. Palace. That's my place from now on. That's how I know where I'm going. Yep. So it was worth it. Now, now, let me ask, did everybody else in the in your group have the similar good time despite the problems with it, or did they focus on the problems with Vegas? Or did Everybody they all feel this way? Time. I think I was the only one. I mean, Story obviously has his moral objections to Vegas, as I do, but I was the only one outwardly complaining about how horrible a place the city was. <laughs> but uh, everyone just had a fantastic time. We had a tremendous amount of fun. We like had several mock debate rounds in the uh, Great American Value Inn. Oh, really? <laughs> the Great American Value Inn? Parts of which uh, I filmed with a camcorder, which I have, oh, uh, awesome. I have yet to edit. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It was a great trip. And I think I think because it was so successful, it's going to be like a yearly tradition now for debate reunion somewhere. That's Maybe cool. not I, Vegas, but somewhere. That's cool. Well, you should have it in Gen Con because that way everybody can get together all the time at the largest gaming thing in we would mm-hmm. have liked to have gone, but, you know, it's a, a distance, and it was also the same weekend as Gen Con, so we couldn't right. go. Right, So, but, uh, well, that's awesome. That's cool. That's cool. Well, we were, we were while you were doing that, we were, um, we were geeking it out at, uh, in Indianapolis. And it was funny. I've been to that, to Gen Con once before in 2005, as I said. This time I went partially for professional reasons, and it was very good for that cause, because I, I made a lot of contacts and a lot of networking, and that was all cool. But I also had the chance to sort of focus on, when I went in there, about how, like, staggered by the reality of where this convention takes place and who goes to it. Because, you know, it takes place in Indianapolis, right, which is, I would define as sort of the ultimate example of the Midwestern city. I mean, you know, we found that people are very nice there, um, very friendly and all that kind of thing. But it's very, you know, Midwestern, kind of traditional, somewhat conservative, you know, big football fans, that kind of thing. And on this city, every year, descends people whose idea of high fashion is 20-sided dye earrings and spike gothic elbow pads and Darth Vader masks and people with baseball caps with little weird green anime bunnies on their head. Like, this, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a big disconnect between, you know, what this is all about and, and who lives here normally. And... I don't know. I was trying to look at sort of like quote unquote normal Indianapolis residents just to get a sense of you know how they were reacting, and they were pretty good. You know, from what I could tell, they didn't really make much reaction. Maybe it's because they make a ton of money, so they're not going to start complaining about anything. But it was it was really wild to see the disconnect between who's there and the Indianapolis people. So that was kind of. Did know, you, that, you you know what occurs to me now? Probably a little too late, but you guys should have brought a camera. Like, given your uh, your newfound internet celebrity is hosting the uh, the Boing Boing TV Comic Con episode, like. You yes. totally we should have parlayed that into a Gen Con 
introduction too. We, we did really think did about think about that, doing that, but I think part of the problem was that we were so sort of torn in about twenty five different directions that we were trying to figure out, you know, what to sort of uh, focus on. But we may very well do that in the future. In fact, one guy um, who's the head of the Jinx Clothing Company, which does all the T shirts for World of Warcraft and for a bunch of things, he saw that video and was, you know, say, "Hey, what's going on? We're going to be at Gen Con and all that stuff." So it was there. So that internet celebrity has uh, has been an interesting experience for me. So, but yeah. It's it's very it, it was a very kind of surreal experience, and I have to say that there were moments where I sort of returned to my glory days of the past um, because when I first walked into the hall, right there is a big stand arcade machine where they have all of the old arcade games of the past, awesome. including Galaga. Right, I so I walk over to yeah, so I walked over. First of all, this guy was playing Centipede, and this guy was playing it with the joystick, not the ball. So there's a couple of people who are like around my age who are sort of staring at him, being like, "What kind of a moron doesn't use the ball to play Centipede?" <laughs> and like, then they actually lean forward. They're like, "You realize that thing goes forward? It doesn't just go along the bottom of the screen, right?" And the kid was like, "What?" You know, it was like 15, and uh, <laughs> he had no idea. So, so that was kind of funny. I was not a Centipede player; I was a Galaga player. So I'm like, "Does this have Galaga on it?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, it should." So he, you know, clicks over and gets to the Galaga thing. And then the guy's like, so um, the guy's like, are you able to play this at all? I was like, yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) Because I was a badass back in the day. And I had not, I had not lost it. I was real good. And there were, there was a small group of people gathered around and some people were like, damn, this guy's pretty good. And the guy who was demoing it leaned over to one of the, like, tapped someone on the shoulder who was working next to him and was like, look, I finally found a guy who can play this game. And I was just like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, So it was pretty cool. And and there was one time when um, this guy, I think it was our friend, was watching me play. And anyone who's an old Galaga fan out there will know that your job initially is to stay alive long enough to let one of your ships get captured. Because if you then destroy the guy that's got the ship then you get two ships and that's when you become you know the destroyer of worlds so when i went in front of him, this one guy is just like you know no wait wait don't oh my god now you're captured i'm like and i'm just sort of like relax bud and that's like i, I just 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 hang on for the ride i was, I was feeling ridiculous i felt like i was some kind of a let me tell you something greenhorn you don't know what you're doing so then when i hit him and k- killed him and i cooked he's like oh sweet you got two of them i'm like yes 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 i do <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, and I, you know, so I was the first challenging stage. I had a perfect section. So I was doing that music, you know, and I'm tapping along with it, you know, and I'm like, Oh, it looks like a good hit rate. And everyone's like, yeah. And at the end, because of course it has been like 10 years since I played this game at the end, uh, I was starting to have some trouble and I hadn't hit a hundred thousand yet. And this person, my friend who was next to me was like, you know, you better hit a hundred thousand. It's going to be embarrassing. I mean, you've set the bar pretty. And I was like, shut up, shut up. Let's get to a hundred thousand. And like, you know, dodging. And I did, I did manage to cross a hundred thousand. So that was, that was very exciting. I returned to the glory days of my youth. And proved that all the money I spent in quarters at that time was not a total waste. But it had Dragon's Lair on there, man, and Defender, and Bosconian. Oh, Defender. It had, like, Dig Dug. It had Joust. Remember Joust? Um, I, I it, never played Joust, but I'm familiar with it, having done research on, yes. like, old Atari games yes. to, ma- to make into potential 8-bit theater episodes for BBTV. The, so. old, the old bitter people there were all in agreement that the problem with today's games is there's too many buttons. Like, look at Dig Dug. All you had is a joystick and a one button. You know, there's five <laughs> buttons, <laughs> ten button things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, that was a good time. And th- there was just a lot of that, that kind of that cool stuff going on. Um, 
our mutual friend Justin Gary, who Russ will remember, was there. He's now the lead designer for the World of Warcraft miniatures game, which pretty much everyone is just falling all over themselves talking about how exciting this was. And so he was there, and we had a chance to talk to him. And so it was very, uh, it, w- it was very, very impressive. But I wanted to mention that as you went out of the sort of convention hall, everybody is dressed in costume. And that, of course, is very similar to the Comic-Con, right? Everyone's got costumes, and everyone's got this and that. But... One of the th- and I I wanted to ask your opinion about this for us because you're the big Star Wars expert. Okay, we came across we're walking along and we come across this group of Empire soldiers. So there's a couple stormtroopers. There's the do one of the lieutenants who runs the Death Star is standing there, and they're there while people are taking pictures. And I always find this funny, of course, because then in the next hallway over you see Jedi walking by, and I was like, I love how this would actually happen, right? Like they're just like, who's that awesome Jedi? Hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> like they wouldn't immediately be firing blasters at the Jedi, and, <laughs> but um. So they're all standing there, and everyone's looking at that. And our friend Shoshana, who was with us, said, yeah, you know, the problem is, though, if you look at the details of the costume, and she starts going through, like, see, he didn't really complete the trim there. And really, this doesn't work for, you know, the the, de- the desert sun would have, you know, eaten away at the costume here. And that's not accurate because of this. And she went through all the things that was wrong with the uniform. And it occurred to me, is it the case that people who become too too much fans like they're they're too strong on the fandom let's say right they're too Uh into star wars or something does it make it difficult for them to actually enjoy these things like they can't enjoy the movies they can't enjoy anything where people does anything fan related because if they go over there and like you know if they if they see anything that's even vaguely off they immediately start flipping out do you know what i mean i mean is there is there something to be said for the idea that people can take their fandom so far that all of a sudden they stop enjoying like they can't have any fun anymore and it just becomes i think so is that- I think, A, it's a product of, like, an OCD personality of someone who has to have everything be precisely, like, accurate with their worldview, even if it's the view of a – inside of a given myth. But and you, you know, think remember- this tends to be that way? Like, this well, tends to draw those kind of people. we had that discussion about how the physics in Star Wars is completely ridiculous and how the, the, like, spaceships wouldn't work at all and those fight scenes that happen in space could not actually happen given physics. I recall physics. you bringing this up and flipping yes. out about it, Russ, actually. So <laughs> – Given that that's the case, you can imagine how accurate the rest of the physics in the Star Wars universe is, which is not very accurate and not even really trying to be. And, like, maybe after the fact in the prequels, they tried to shore up some of the gaping holes and possibility after the fact. But no, it's not accurate. There's nothing accurate about it. In fact, the reason that Star Wars is so popular has nothing to do with the accuracy as a sci-fi tale. It's because of the accuracy of the myth as being an amalgamation of, like, every religion ever created as conceptualized by Joseph Campbell, who basically wrote the myth of the Force for George Lucas. Right. So that part is very compelling and makes everything else compelling, even though the physics of it is crap. And so so is everything else. But but I guess my point, though, was more— (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I approve the statement. Um, my point was more, though. Don't you think that this effect, like, is should should people be less into it so that they can enjoy the experience more? I mean, my point was not. I think it's funny that you said this because I think what you came away was, well, of course it's not accurate, Greg. Which is not really the point. My point was leaving aside the accuracy. Doesn't it take away from your enjoyment because you can only, therefore, from this point forward, ever see the flaws as opposed to being like, oh, that was cool. It was kind of like Star Wars instead of being like, that wasn't really Star Wars because, see, there were five, like, dents in the left armor and that would never happen because, you know what I mean? Like, that seems to me that it's because they're so into it, they've kind of pulled away from just enjoying the world. No? Yes, I would classify that as a sickness. Okay. <laughs> For sure. 
I'm totally with you on this. I mean, I love okay. Star Wars and have watched it more times than probably spent more hours watching the movie Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, those two, than any other activity I can think of, short of maybe Dark Poker. Age of Camelot. Dark Age of Camelot, we've know we've added up the math, has taken a full year of my life, which is really <laughs> disturbing. But like Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, probably close. That's or not let's true, say though, right? six weeks. Maybe I've spent six weeks of my life watching Star Wars or Return of the Jedi. Like, that's totally plausible. To six weeks. Totally plausible. And I'm okay with that. But the point is, like, you have to take it as a part of life, not it all of it. It didn't really take up a whole year of your life, did it? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. did. I typed yeah. in slash played, which is the command that tells you how many hours you've bumped into this game. And over the course of four years of playing Dark Age... I was playing Dark Age 25% of those four years. Oh my god. And and do you but do you know is it his reward? He had a great character whose name was Sky Strider, thus bringing in the okay. other large thing, right? To be fair, like we all know that I'm pretty strictly utilitarian. So, I did get a obscene amount of enjoyment out of playing that game and using my super powerful character to grief other people random people <laughs> on the internet. Like that was really 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 fun. Fun in groups, fun alone, fun, fun, fun. That's fun, why I fun, did everyone. so fun. Right. And in fact, I stopped when it was like decidedly not fun anymore because A, they changed all the mechanics to make my guy less cool, and B, they kept making new you know expansions and new hamster wheels to run through so that he wasn't as cool you know, compared to people who kept playing all the new stuff. So I got sick of it and I stopped. But hey, it's like, you know, if heroin's going to be good for that long, like keep doing it. You're enjoying yourself. <laughs> Keep it up while the heroin's there. That's tremendous. That's a good analogy, right? <laughs> no, I can't think of a better one. I mean, that's as really... long as the heroin's good, why stop? Exactly. As long like, as you're not dead, why not keep going? Every heroin story is like it gets worse, and you get you have to use more of it to get the same high, and then you run out of money, and you have to start stealing things and betraying your family. That never happened to me. I just paid my thirteen dollars a month for three years and really oh, had a great God. time. Like it was just <laughs> great the whole time. So you're the yeah. So clearly, I went to exactly the right person to to report on this phenomenon. Well, okay, that makes some sense. Well, you know, it's interesting. That relates to the other thing that happened at Gen Con that that I wanted to bring up here, which is on the uh, playing side. We also played this thing called True Dungeon. Now, I think we I may have mentioned this to you off air, Russ. But so True Dungeon basically is this game where you go and you play through quote unquote a real dungeon. I mean, so basically the convention hall has the the hotel takes this big convention room and they basically take the whole room and then they lay out all these tiles and walls and maps and whatever and they come up with puzzles for the rooms and then kind of these weird monster things and, and whatever and then you go through it. And so, I, you know, I have no problem in sort of suspending my disbelief and going through, like, yes, it's plastic props, and yes, there's a, you know, a jungle gym, which I can pretend is a geodesic dome, but, you know, it's fine, like, there's some cool stuff, and, and it was a good time, but... What struck me about this game, and it relates back to what we were just talking about, are the tokens. So the way that you, in this game, the way that you get things, that you do things is you get, acquire these tokens. And on these wooden tokens, I think it's plastic tokens now actually, are things like, you know, plus one sword of this, or holy water, or alchemist fire, or, you know, something like that. And, you know, you first look at this and you go, okay, this is just kind of a game mechanic to let the game go. But these tokens, which, recall, are simply wood and plastic, you would think that these were each 
500 gold coin increments. Do you know what I mean? Like, people uh-huh. would come in with this whole binder full of things, like, you know, trading them to each other, and, hey, what have you got? And here's my thing. And, oh, you got an orcish plus one sickle. Well, that's a blah, blah, well, blah, blah. Well, my thing is... And they're wooden that... tokens. Like, even if they were plastic props, and I could see, like, a plastic orcish sickle prop, I could maybe wrap my mind around that. But a token that's, like, the size of a 50-cent piece? Right, and that's I mean, my thing, is, is you either win or you don't win. You either win, you either survive, you either survive the dungeon and you don't. Right. And our small band of we few, we we few, we, we happy few, partially retarded few. I'll <laughs> uh, tell you later. Oh, you broke down my King Henry move. Oh That's God! Nice. It's it's not like if you buy another bag of the tokens or you have another file folder in your backpack that you can pull out that you'll win that much more. You either have the potion or you don't. And uh, and if you don't have a potion, then maybe you have to do something else. It's But it's the sta- it's just the losing sight of kind of what the point of it is. It's like for me, I'm kind of a non-gamer. So it's for me when I see a character can hold like 10 items in their backpack, you know, three of which can be like huge ass-wept two-handed weapons. <laughs> to five two-handed halberds. That'll fit right into the backpack. Where I'm Next to my like picnic you. table and my uh, <laughs> chain mail, backup chain mail armor. Who has the VW bug of driving? Somebody? Anybody? <laughs> I mean, I that's that my in thing. My... It's like I'm walking around in a dungeon. I can barely see, you know, and the fact that I, I only I had a few, I had like one cure light wounds and then I had... Um, my weapon, and I didn't have. I was a monk, so I had no armor. You know, I felt like I was really doing it. Not like this other guy who had like this. Uh, he sewn for himself this sash that then had <laughs> all the tokens, tokens it. <laughs> lining it, so he could quickly pull out. And you know. and people were like, "Well, do you have this?" He's like, "Wait a minute, I think I have a spike. Hold on." He's like, you know, whipping his sash around himself. Like I actually went in as a ranger, and I sort of set this up with our friends that we went through beforehand that I would do this. So I, I decided that yeah, I would be the world's first uh, completely eco-friendly ranger. So all of my items would be one use only and would be like completely <laughs> recyclable. So I had like you know plus one holy water, and then I had alchemist fire, which you know blows up obviously, and then I had my my masterwork bolt so i had my crossbow which had one bolt in it which i could use so at first you had to hunt other... down every time you shot it at somebody well, like well, pull it out no, of the tree no it, it was gone and at that point i said that was that so so some of the people in the dungeon would ask me like we well, are a ranger where's your weapon they said my weapon is right here and like alchemist fire i'm like well yeah i'm like you know i, I, I want to reduce my carbon footprint <laughs> they all were kind of like what and it was oh that was the most fun ever because you could just walk around and do that and and a couple times now i was reasonably effective because i had brought a lot of things and and they well because we were with you know our friends friends. who do actually continue to keep these tokens and buy it you you get one free bag with doing it but then people will buy additional bags oh yeah spend like hundreds of dollars and trade it with each other and and so there are people talking to me like and and so there were other people who would ask me these things and i just sort of gradually revealed this information they started to be this game where they would say you know well wait what do you have and they turn to me i'm like i have a thunderstone one use only they're like ah there you go (laughs) it's hilarious like it just and i was able because my my whole goal and at the end of it we got one token for finishing the game and one token that was like a ring that symbolized it i kept those two tokens and gave everything else back to them because i'm like aren't you missing the point like again the point here is of the experience of it but the reason this this brings it back to the mmorpg thing and this sort of obsessive compulsive stuff is it really is true 
a lot of these people want stuff, even if it's like wood plastic stuff, even if it's not real stuff, even if it's not, you know, they just want stuff. So they can well, say, you know, well, I've got tokens. It's not when there's something it, that, you know, that there are multiple different types of one thing. You want the full set. But and it's wooden people- tokens. If it was the full set of the real weapon, that would be sweet. You know, I was like, oh, well, I have a real orca sickle. Well, that's cool. I can get behind that. But I don't want a freaking two-inch, you know, diameter wooden-ass token. Do you know how you hit monsters in this, Russ? They pull oh. out a big, long table, and they have a diagram of the monster on the table. A, and then so you do, like, shuffleboard. Sh- yeah, shuffleboard. Shuffleboard, <laughs> where you put your token and things, and then you, like, the slide realism. it down. The, the re- exactly. Real dungeon. True dungeon, right? And it's like, that's it's fine and you know i have no problem with that except that even when like you know the mind flayer comes across and you're like oh the mind flayer what are you gonna do well i'll just find my and they're like rummaging through their binders i'm like yes and clearly the hill giant would just wait around and be like all right just take your time you know while you're finding the thing i'm like no we're like you know like what the and that's kind of what happens and you have a dm in the room who has to like roll the dice and you know like do the whole business it, it's fun it, it, it is, is a lot fun. of fun i don't mean to I downplay just, it i, I just I, don't understand the token obsession like i don't i don't get it i'm sorry i, I don't and, and also the kind of i don't know i guess you would probably disagree with me russ because you're the guy you're the one that like played a quarter of his life so that you could have like this awesome character <laughs> that could do anything in fairness the quarter of a, a, a year not a quarter yeah. of his life. quarter of my life <laughs> Few for, for and then he lived years. to be four years oh, old, but Greg, he was amazing at Dark Age of Camelot. That one year, it, it's still early. That's time. true. That's true. Let, let's reassess. Hey, still I quit World of Warcraft. Give me some credit, a little credit, okay. please. Credit. You're not going to get much credit for long because I'm still playing. I mean, like I want to win the game, not by just. It, I get it's like it's like it's like those card games that you stopped playing. Well, a little bit of what you just said, right? Actually, yeah. maybe you would agree, with Russ, because. You don't want to be with those people no, where Russ it's just simply a matter of, you know, you have to put in, you know, you go fishing for 10 hours and, oh, look, now your character can, you know, do judo. Here's chop. the point, okay? I don't want an eight-year-old out buying me. That's what it comes down to. When I'm playing, I don't want some snot-nosed kid who can't even, you know, who, who isn't allowed to even conceive of what driving means to, you know, whip down. Well, I've got the plus five Black Lotus card that my mommy bought me. Shut up. You know, you, you want to fight for it? No, you don't because I'll kick your ass. Like that, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to be out bought. I don't want to be out tokened. I don't want people to be able to do this. Well, just, exactly. I this want the story, paid. you know, right. the this story. Was my critique of BuffBots, which was if you pay for a separate account of some guy who will just stand in the field, make sure that your character has all the buffs so that your character is super like, that was totally out of bounds for me. I would never go into the real world where you, people with more money in the real world have more powerful characters in the fake world. That defeats the purpose. Right. And I just don't see where the fun in it comes. I mean, I guess the point was this really sort of brought home for me the fact that, you know, for a lot of people, it is about the story. For a lot of people, it's about the experience. But for a lot of people, it literally is about acquisition. And I think you could even be like, here's some cow pies. You know, and 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 you have cooler cow pies, and here's some wooden cow pies. Like it doesn't matter how ridiculously petty the items are, there are lots of people, a subset of the population, that will want those items, no matter how well, petty and ridiculous they are. The if you attach it some kind of false value that I know? wanted to talk, that I was talking about, either it wasn't just the items. We had to do two different runs because one of us obviously had to. Are, are you going to talk about the people? Take care of our this is seven funny. month old child. You had people that had done it multiple times, so they would get in there and they would they would say, you know, okay, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, don't attack this. Don't do this. And Press we that kind of like it didn't happen so much in my group. 
uh, because the people that that had done it before in my group didn't have the social skills. That's to know the group how to, I want Clea to speak about in a minute. But in, <laughs> it did affect Greg's group because it meant that they figured out a room very quickly and then they had to sit there. And well, there were some brand new people who were like, "What should I do?" And then everyone's just like, "Let us do it." You know, rah, 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 and they're just well, like, not so much that. That's, that's okay. Bravo, guys! Now you get to sit there exactly for five minutes for five minutes until the next room is done and you can go in the next room yeah it was is that enjoyable yeah it's the sort of speed run thing which was not very fun but i want you to go back clea and talk about the people in your first group because this is extremely amusing and if any of you were in clea's first group we want I'm to sorry. not apologize no you know she's not she wants to not apologize well the social because you worker in me wants to say I'm well the sorry. kid with asperger's you'd feel sorry for but everybody else you don't feel sorry for. right well right. <laughs> the thing is is when you first get to gen con you see the odd clothing, and you're 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 taken back to college, where of the sci-fi fantasy club that would be right. playing chess in full-out costumes on with the, the foam swords. The gro- and there's always one guy who looks like he's fifty. Sorry, just want to throw that out. Then you smell the smell of body odor <laughs> of someone who hasn't changed their clothing in three days and doesn't know what the word deodorant mm. means. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Mm. That's the realism that you don't want from and medieval then, times. True dungeon. <laughs> Bathe, man. True it's order. okay. <laughs> and then you hear... Bathe the river, too. <laughs> and then you hear their voices and them talking. And you hear the lack of social skills and the odd personality disorders. And uh, that's what first welcomed me to my group, where we had two guys, one of which I guess has never played this game before, but his bosom buddy had. And so he was helping his bosom buddy learn the ropes of true dungeon and he just had that way that he spoke that just seemed very odd like he didn't know how to speak and then he also (laughs) he had that way of speaking like he didn't know how to speak you know that way where you're supposed to say like hello and you're like that That kind of thing so then they're talking and then there's he, he, he he's one of those people that bought like three hundred dollars worth of tokens and then proceeded to spend the rest of the dungeon scrambling to try to find the perfect token for the perfect instance while we're busy finishing the room with you know real time hold on i've almost got the gold arrow just hold him off and he was a paladin there was lit- literally one moment where the guy was like okay, the the d- dungeon master was like okay you know anyone else need to you know going to attack and he's like oh i am and they started rummaging through his bag to try to find his weapon and the dm was like um paladin you should have your weapon ready (laughs) it's the equivalent in real life of a knight walking into a fight and being like i will smite you and the guy's like you you don't have your sword drawn he's like just a minute i left it on my horse i'll be right back (laughs) i think it actually greg to be perfectly honest would be an example of real life of a paladin not having his sword I was referring to a knight in the assumption that many people who listen to our show might not know what a paladin is relative to a knight. But if I'm wrong in that assumption, and if you are this person rummaging for a sword, then you know what I mean. And why didn't you have it ready? So then he's friend. <clears throat> I'm usually play a cleric, and his friend want to be a cleric, so I'm easy. I could care less. But the problem is, is that if you want to be something, you need to know how to be something. And this cleric... <laughs> At one point, very early on, I said, okay, does anyone, no, I'm asking this, I'm the, not the cleric, as the cleric, you're supposed to be asking this, but I'm helping. I said, is anyone really hurt and needs to be healed? And the cleric said, I need to be healed. <laughs> and so, and to, I have to say, I did not mean to be mean spirited, but I said very nonchalantly, could someone please tell the cleric how to heal himself? Right. And we just let the question hang in the air, you know, I like to just, yeah. 
Because the fact that he doesn't know that he heals, that's what you do. Well, other people, sure. But how can you heal yourself? <laughs> you want it's me to more point the finger question. at me? Yes. Years of therapy here involved in that. <laughs> but I just <laughs> had this image. Yeah, exactly. I just had this image of, like, you know, God saying, you know, thou shalt have the ability to heal others, but never thyself. Thou shalt not heal thy own body, but other bodies. But I don't think, but no, but it was even worse than that, because then he didn't realize that on his badge was, he didn't need tokens. He didn't need a cure light wounds. He himself had the spells to heal. He didn't even know that. He had to have someone say, no, 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 stop rummaging through your big bag of tokens. You're a cleric. <laughs> you like, have tokens, the ability good. to heal. I know. But it's still kind of funny that everyone else is like, silly cleric? <laughs> now let me pull out my sword token and have some bread token and kill that ox throw token. token. Like, I oh, know yeah, how was, to be realistically representative of medieval times. There was tokens. one point where we needed to use a rope and my friends Shoshana and Jared were extremely excited that they got to use their rope token because in the last four years of playing Jew Dungeon, <laughs> they've never actually gotten to use a rope token. So they were extremely excited. Yes. And the rope token to True Dungeon's credit, when given to the DM, did produce a rope. Right, an they actual, actually brought, actual rope. They brought out an actual rope. That's right. So, but didn't wasn't it the case that at one point someone said, "Perhaps we can tie there," and they they brought out another amount of rope, and the DM sort of gave them a look like we are not equipped to handle two ropes. We gave you one rope. Why would you ask <laughs> well, for a second rope? And the <laughs> reason they would reality? ask for a second rope is because these people were so confused about what was going on that they made me confused because every time we would finish a room. They would be doing all these things that would make as if they didn't realize that we had finished a room. And they were so convinced that they still had things that they had to do that it made me start doubting that we had actually finished a room. (laughs) There was a point where we used a rope, my friend Jared and I, to get the key out of the jungle gym that Greg was talking about. And we opened the door and the gentleman, the paladin who decided it'd be a good idea to take the key from us and then wander around the room aimlessly with it for five minutes. <laughs> After which we took the key and opened the door, he proceeded to, pre- proceeded to continue to wander around the room as if trying to figure out the room. And he was so convinced of what it, of the importance of what he was doing that I became convinced that <laughs> we must... Getting the key from the, the secret space and putting it in the door and the door opening. It's too easy, you must fool. Clearly we must make been... key soup. We must find the secret crock pot of glory and then we can make key soup. And the... So it was that man who said, I have another rope token. Can I have some more rope? It was at that point that I realized, I guess we do need to get more rope and do something else with it because we haven't done the obvious puzzle that was in the middle of the, and and every time you would ask the dm i look to the left to see something no nothing's there is it no the dome is quiet at the door the door is open like everything was just like no everything's shut down you don't have to stay home stay here but you don't have to go home but you can't stay here you know like I mean, it was very clearly past closing time last call you know like i mean the, the, it was over and it, done it's with interesting the too. credits were rolling it's interesting know? too that these people with low social skills want to play a game where it's required that they use teamwork i'm surprised that anyone can actually play D&D without it ending up in fisticuffs. Well, it often does end up in that, in fairness. I mean, Clea described each of these rooms ending with her and, you know, Wait, Jared no, no, and Shoshana no, it finishing it, and oh, everybody yeah, well, yeah, else doing the well, Benny the Hill is, theme thing, and well, the thing with everybody running around the room. That's more or less. Well, that's how it started. Oh, okay. Before we would go enter every room, the paladin would very wisely, so you'd think maybe he knew what he was doing, say, okay, guys, let's get in order. 
So you'd have, you know, the paladin and the other big guys go first, and then you make sure the healers in the, are in the middle. And But then as soon as we entered the room, everyone Rick. would be gone and all doing all the things. And you'd, the paladin's like, where's my, where's my friend, the cleric? Then the cleric, oh, I need healing. What should I do? And then, you know, we had Asperger's kid who was... All by and by, the most sane of all of them. The kid who literally and had Asperger's. extremely useful. Yeah, he he actually because of his hyper awareness was able to actually help us with certain things. However, there was point one point where I think that oh yeah he was the one that we we had to we had to put these different seven deadly sins with their um with these cards that had the seven deadly sins and we had to put them with their opposites. And we're trying desperately to try to do this while everyone else is like wandering around with little two, like two year olds holding their toys. So we'd have to like every once in a while stop one of them and say, okay, I need that. Give me, (laughs) give me that. I want to keep my sin. I don't want to give it to you. And so literally we were like, okay, we've, we all of them know there's one left. Like, oh, where is it? And Asperger's boy said, I have one. And we're like, okay, guy, can we have that? <laughs> oh, I didn't know you meant, you mean this sin? Oh, sure. I, and yeah. then Paladin guy, after we finished that, proceeded to go over to the sign and say, look, there's a sign over here. And we said, yeah, we read that when we first entered the room. That's how it told us <laughs> to solve the puzzle. And he said, I wonder if there's a door behind it. So he then lifted up the sign and started doing, asking the DM if he could do a check to see if there was a door behind it. And it was, that was another example of, I was like, I guess we didn't finish this room, right? I guess we need to find a door behind this sign. Right. My favorite part is having people who've clearly spent their entire lives indoors playing tabletop games, like trying to figure out how to tie knots in a rope and like have actual outside Boy Scout skills applicable to their lives. And like, well, well we never really meant oh, yeah. to do this for real. This well, is that's all the funny paper. thing is like we would I don't know how normal people would have done it, but we had a what is he in? He's a Marine or not ex-Marine or. Yeah, he's an ex-Marine. He's an ex-Marine. So we had an ex-Marine. <laughs> You know, well, so yeah. he actually he actually that tied is like this Boy Scout skills. To be fair, yeah, yeah, he, he, for sure. he actually tied like this amazing knot that one of those knots where it held and then, but then when you pulled just slightly on the rope, it started to loosen a little bit. So he could, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, well, he the same guy when we they had this little target practice thing where if you hit these oh uh, God, three targets, so you could draw these things from a bag, and it was it was some kind of zombie themed thing. So if you hit it the three targets, gun. then you would draw these things. So now I didn't know that Jared had already done this once before so jared comes and picks up the gun and it's like kablam target kablam. and this is right before he had got he was behind some some you know some woman who was wearing a outfit that she shouldn't have been wearing uh and she was you know all over the place and the, the gun was spraying everywhere and hitting people in the head and whatever so she's terrible and then he stands up and just like blam target blam target and then he fires the gun five times and it misfires and the guy sort of nervously hands in the last dart and like fixes it and he's like blam target I mean, and it was he ridiculous. Held it, he held it like with the double-handed. Like, yeah, he did the, the law and order actual... double-handed thing where, yeah, it was really like execution style. Anyway. For us, it's like, I have now I don't, faded I don't away. Know if I, I don't know if I can go much longer because I keep seeing that woman's image in my mind and I can't get it out. I think it's fair enough then for us to uh, to call it a day. Uh, it has been uh, an hour, so uh, we want to thank everyone for listening as always. And let us know what you think about the quality of people relating to 
podcasts or you know Neverwinter Nights or any of those people. You can hear that our baby is now awake and is reacting badly to that image of the woman as well. Um, so <laughs> let us know if any of that stuff interests you, and uh, make sure you let Russ know that if you have a casino in your town you'd like him to come and uh, bring to its knees, please, uh, you know, or, or city that you'd like him to come and mock and find uh, an example of, of despair in capitalist America, then please let us know. We appreciate that. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> That's everybody. That was clearly everybody. The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one of Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at greg, russ, story, or andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Tomorrow's just another day away.